First things first, Bubba Sparks, if you're listening, you cannot sue us. It's the Philip K. Dick novel, Now Wait for Last Year, this week on Why Do You Know That? Welcome to Why Do You Know That? The party podcast that wants to know why you know so much about a very specific topic. I'm Nadia Osman. I'm Steve Slaga. Hi, Steve. Hi, Nadia. How you doing? Good. I'm almost done with a project. Um, I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but one of my previous roommates uh, painted the tile on our kitchen floor during a, a mental health um breakdown uh gorgeous stenciling on the the kitchen tile floor uh but over the years it just turned to look like absolute shit because he didn't like glaze it or do anything to protect it so it just absorbs dirt Mm -hmm. uh and so in april i started a project of scraping the paint off of the tiles uh, and I have one tile left. So, oh my God, you're almost that's, done. That's, uh, I'm almost done. That I, you know how I am while. about my, oh, I know. Well, what finally got me to, well, it took a while because it's not fun and it hurts my back and you basically have to <laughs> like lay a wet cloth over a tile to get the paint to be wet and then use a heat gun Uh, And then like the paint will kind of bubble a little bit and then you can scrape it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's it's very satisfying to do um, once you get in the zone to do just a couple of squares. Uh, I got through in April. I'd watched all of Survivor San Juan del Sur while doing the floor. (laughs) But then uh, I kind of I didn't like it anymore. And so, you know, I love my productivity apps. I put in a thing that said scrape one tile every day. And ever since I put that in my habit tracking app, it's like, well, I have to or I won't go on to a streak of, of four days. So now I have one tile left and uh, right. it feels good. That's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. So, you know, and I wish there was a pill I could take <laughs> to just transfer me to a future where the tile was already <laughs> scraped but unfortunately like a, like a way in the future like 2055 exactly yeah i mean here's the thing it might not even be my future it might be an alternate future but uh you know at least i know how long it took me to to do the scraping is this is this a good how are we doing on this segue it's <laughs> pretty good that's going off Ah, oh, you did great, Steve. Let me bring in our amazing guest. Uh, you know him as an actor, writing comedian from uh, Broad City and Search Party. Please welcome Will Hines. Hello. Welcome Hello. to me. Hi. Thank you for nice being you here. Guys. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so nice to have you. And today we're going to be talking about specifically the book Now Wait for Last Year, the yep. 1966 sci-fi novel by Philip K. Dick. That's right. Which involves uh, time-traveling drugs in That's 2055. Right. Uh, yeah. Among other things. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Lots. I like it because the plot is immensely complicated, <laughs> like so unnecessarily complicated. I, that's really that's really one of the main reasons why I like it. Like it's it's a- <laughs> it's, it's unhinged. It's as unhinged as painting the tiles in your kitchen. Well, backwards it's- segue. <laughs> you try to do it backwards steve yeah you started to do it and they're like wait how do i do it backwards <laughs> i don't even think i did it backwards right you i went booty oh wait doobie. Wee, 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 wee. i said booty booty 
Yeah, so the seg alert is bee doo bee doo, and the reverse seg is booty 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 booty. I don't remember what the music rights are on podcasts anymore. So. There's no way we violate any sure. music rights. No, hope you not. Have to, you have to do a recognizable tune, I think. Y- yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Nobody's nobody's gonna know I'm doing. Found you, Miss Newport. Yep. Yeah, nope. I knew. I knew. I recognized the Bubba Sparks in that. Don't worry, not yeah. <laughs> I got you. I recognize that. But you will were, his yeah. estate? That's the question. <laughs> you know, Bubba Sparks is dead. No, just generally, just oh, okay. like just the entity that is Mr. Sparks. Just the financial, the financial machine that protects him. Yes, whatever lo- legal team mis- represents Mr. Sparks, and how involved do they get? And you know, uh, so I'll put out, I'll put out word to his people um, to get permission before before this episode goes live, just to okay. make sure he knows. If yeah. we forget for some reason, uh, if you are part of the. Uh, Bubba Sparks legal team. You can just email us at why do you know that pod at gmail.com and just put in the subject line. Uh, which are they put in the subject line? Uh, Bubba so Sparks legal team. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll know it's you guys and we'll know what yeah, it's about. Yeah. It'll go to the right filter. It won't yeah, just exactly. go into the, you know, it won't go into the, the pile of fan mail that we'll just never get to because it's so much because it's so full. <laughs> exactly. It'll go, exactly. That way it goes right to the top. Yeah. How are you guys handling all your fan mail? Is it just overwhelming? Oh, so much. Yeah, so much. Yeah. We try to do like, kind of like separate the try to get interns to read the letters and then separate Smart. them into different piles, and then we can just send out the same form response yes. to like, "Hey, thanks, that was a great suggestion." Hey, thanks, always feels good to be complimented. Hey, thanks, yeah. hope you feel better soon. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's how we've been doing a lot that. of people just writing to us being like, I don't feel well. And I'm like, oh, OK. And it's, you know, you <laughs> yeah. feel bad for them, but you don't want to yeah. just keep typing the same thing over and over again. You need your interns to send a yeah. form response to those. Which reminds they, me, if you're interested in being an intern, go ahead and email you. us at why do you know that pod at gmail.com and just put in the subject heading uh, Steve's intern. And we'll know what it is. <laughs> yeah, because right what's now the, our interns are cats. <laughs> what's, a, what's an example of a job you might give an intern? Steve? This is one of our interns right now is uh, Mr. Cosmo, who's <laughs> literally oh. on the Zoom screen as we speak. Cosmo, I need you to go back to our first uh, 10 episodes. And if you could make the audio better on those, that would be great. <laughs> um, just download Audacity and some filter add-ons and i'm sure i'm sure you'll come up with something thank you cosmo <laughs> he says meow meow which means okay so now wait for last year yeah uh an amazing sci-fi book yeah uh, sci-fi book by philip k dick i love yes. i love philip k dick in general i read a lot of his books i read like maybe i don't know 25 of his novels and like maybe 50 or so of his short stories and wow seen a bunch of his movies and i'm a and i'm a big fan i'm not i'm not always a big fan of sci-fi but i like him a lot that might just answer the question. Why do you know that? Um, <laughs> do you want me just to answer that? I'm just going to answer yeah, it. Go for ahead. So what go, happened? Go ahead for, it was really like I read another author named Jonathan Lethem, I think it is, or maybe it's Lethem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has written a lot of books and he wrote a lot of books in the aughts. Um, and somebody recommended one of his books to me um, called, uh, oh gosh, what was it? Something of the Eye, Something of the Sun, a short story collection. 
And he is a sci-fi writer, but he's like a modern sort of emo sci-fi writer. It's lots of like the story is like a kid, a kid and a single mother are like having a tough time. And like 60% of the book is like this emotional trials, but then 40% of it is he's got a magic ring that lets him fly. And he occasionally does that, but it's sort of like two parts emo, one part sci-fi is Jonathan, Jonathan Lethem. And, and I, but I dug it. It like hit, hit, hit the spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of his short stories is called the light and the sufferer. Like I liked a lot of his titles. Um, Oh no, light and the sufferer. And there's a human named light. And the, and it, it, it supposes that a thing happens in the world where beings emerge that are humanoid and they're just like shadows and they adopt people where like a, a sufferer will show up and just follow you around and they're benign and they don't hurt anything. And everyone just learns to live with it, but they seem to kind of be reflectors of your emotion and like, if you're sad, they'll adopt certain body languages and they reveal some of your inner feelings inadvertently mm-hmm. and they respond to bad emotions a lot. So everybody calls them sufferers. And the, there's this guy named Light and he's got a sufferer and Light is a drug dealer and he's going through an especially bad time and he dies and the sufferer doesn't know what to do. I don't know. It's like sad, trippy, surreal stuff, right? That's Jonathan Lethem. So mm-hmm. like I read him and he's like, my favorite author is Philip K. Dick. And he was like raving about Phil Kiddick, who I'd heard of and I'd seen movies, uh, you know, like Total Recall and Blade Runner and Minority Report and stuff. But I'd never gone deep on his book. But because this other author liked him, I gave it a shot. And then it was like realizing it was like listening to, I don't know, Woody Guthrie after hearing a lot of Bob Dylan or something like that. Like when you hear somebody's influence and you're like, yes. oh, that's where you got all this or whatever. Like you watch Monty Python or something and you're like, oh, that's where a lot of people get their vibe from or or whatever. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan Lethem's books are like very like well-organized and short and efficient and easy to read and well-edited. And Phil K. Dick books are a disaster. Like they are a mess. <laughs> they are insane and like i'm fully convinced he published (laughs) just complete first drafts with no editing many times um the stories often end very abruptly uh character threads are dropped never to be picked up again um and yet i enjoyed it because what he is good at i think is like the moments are fun like he's very very good at like a good scene or a good idea. And then it just, it won't quite follow the previous scene and it won't answer the questions the last scene had for you. But there's just sort of like a, I don't know, kind of the disorganized, the chaos is part of the fun for me. Um, uh, to, to quote Marie Kondo, I'm so excited because I love mess. Uh, <laughs> Which is true. And uh, you're not the first person I feel like who has said that. I feel like the when in looking up uh, literary critiques about him, there definitely seems to be this thing where he has a massive ton of influence, um, uh, particularly uh, Donald Lethem and Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, and yes, yet- who graduated high school with him. Oh, really? Oh, Ursula wow. K. Le Guin, who wrote The Left Hand of Darkness and is like, one of the preeminent sci-fi authors, they were classmates in high school and graduated the same year. Isn't that wild? That is wild. I yeah. know. That's like a... Small world. 
Did you? There you go. I went to high school with Sanjay Gupta. (laughs) So, yeah. No, I didn't. I went to the same school as Sanjay Gupta. I didn't go with him. No, he's much, much older than me. (laughs) Once again, Steve, how old are you? uh, I went to the same high school as Sanjay Gupta. Well, imagine that you graduated the Can't same tell, year, ageless, like, and then you both went into the same field. That'd be trippy. <laughs> uh, um, yes, but there, there's definitely yeah. seems to be this running thread through Philip K. Dick's work, which is like, uh, what is he? Uh, one author describes him as uh, Thoreau plus the death of the American dream, which is like that's already just on its own a big sentence to unpack. Uh, I mean, so if you take that and apply it to his work, it's like, yeah, there's a lot of. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in a Philip K. Dick novel. I think like to appreciate what's good about his books, you have to say what's bad about them because there's huge flaws in Mm -hmm. almost every Philip K. Dick book. Like there are very few books that are just truly capital G good books all the way through. He's got like five of those because he was like he was he wasn't really respected as a literary person until almost the end of his life. And he wrote. He was a genre writer and these guys are expected to grind it out. You know, they, they wrote a book a year, like a mystery, a mystery writer or a romance writer. You know, they got their thing and they're expected to do one or even two a year and they kind of get paid by volume. And no one is expecting any of the books to be like uh, revised. They're expecting like a fun title, fun cover art, maybe a fun premise that gets played with. And that's all you sort of have to deliver. It doesn't yeah. need to be like, I don't know, like a thought through emotional climax. It doesn't need to make a statement of any kind. And so, and so, he, and so he, grind, he, he ground it out. Oh, sorry. Yeah, when okay. you say do androids dream of electric sheep, that's not exactly lending itself to uh, the same kind of maybe scrutiny or literary criticism that, say, The Corrections does. Exactly. Just by title yeah. alone. Yeah, like the New Yorker wasn't reviewing Philip K. Dick books and they wouldn't be expected to and like nobody, nobody would. Um, um, but he was really popular. Uh, he really steady sales. He was a really like uh, lucrative author. I mean, sort of like as much money as one could make in that realm, he made it. There's limits mm-hmm. to it. But, and then, in, so I think he started in the 50s and then the 60s was really his prime. And he kept going to the 70s and he died like in the early 80s. And in the 70s, people started being like, you know, this Philip K. Dick guy is actually good. And his ideas are really good. And his best novels are sort of very good. Like Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep is like one of his very best. And Scanner Darkly is another one that's really good. And Ubik, those are kind of, oh, and um, Man in the High Castle. Those are, those are sort of like his big hits. And um and so, you know, they all started getting options for movies and he started making money just just from the options. And then uh, as Blade Runner was being made, he died. So he got to see like some of the footage of Blade Runner, but he never saw the finished product. Mm. But then since then, so many of his books have been adapted, but they're usually adapted very um, aggressively. Like they're people change them a lot because the book will be one half insane. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, we can't do this. Right. Like not all the women can be evil, right? Were we right on that? Like that would be, that would, that would stand out if all of the female characters are evil. Um, He definitely had like a misogynist thing, which a lot of sci-fi writers did, which is like, there's one woman, she's beautiful and she's a traitor. Yeah. 
Um, and he got challenged on that. He lived in Berkeley. Some a woman was writing a PhD in sci-fi in like 1970 or something. Interviewed him, and she just told him, "She's like, oh, I know. When I read your books, the woman's the bad guy." And he felt so bad about it that he, his next five novels tried to reverse that, like the women were the protagonist, or like he, he's like, you know what? I never thought about it. I, I had no idea. You're right. And he did a late career correction. Is this what we have to do with everyone in the entertainment yeah, industry? Yeah, you have to it's have just... PhD students confront them. <laughs> Get on it, academia, please. Just pull out, pull some people to the side and just be like, listen, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Bay, uh, I'm thinking that everything you're doing is through the male gaze. And uh, maybe then he'll be like, I never thought about like, it. Uh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that what an interview that must have been like? She's like, I'm really going to really get his goat. And then he's yeah, like, I agree with you completely. And then he, <laughs> changed, he changed his next couple books. And she's like, oh, 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 OK, so that's it. Yeah, that's it. You just had to call me out. Oh, OK. I mean, well, a saving grace of the misogyny. It's weird to defend misogyny, but he had like yeah, um, ca- he was careful where you step here. <laughs> well, I mean, first women deserve it. That's the one thing I want to say. Like they deserve it. And, and misogyny is is true. So that's in defense of it. No. Um, uh, some of it is like, well, the genre is already just kind of the, the standard is low. But like he had he was married like five times and he had like bad marriages and he would like in his books often have like squabbling couples or divorcing couples. And he kind of I, I was always quite moved by it. Like he he was working a lot out of his frustrations with his partners through the characters in the book. And so unlike a lot of sci fi books where there is really just no love at all, mm-hmm. it's just like Twilight Zone ideas and technologies. Phil K. Dick books usually do like the relationship is a big part of the story. It's usually kind of cynical and it's falling apart and they're manipulative and at each other's throats. But it's kind of interesting. Like if you're an actor and you get cast as one of the main couple in a Philip K. Dick book, you're going to get some great dialogue. Like you're going to get some great fight scenes. You're going to pull some low shit on your partner. Uh, it, it is sort of like entertaining. And, and it it's I don't see that in a lot of sci fi stuff. Like Isaac Asimov, the robots do like little logic puzzles with each other in a Philip K. Dick book. I mean, in this book that I'm telling you about, there's a main, there's a couple at the center, and the wife spikes the husband's drink essentially with heroin, hoping to get him hooked to heroin out of revenge. Like, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. A, it's a it's a it's a low move, but it is an interesting one. It is like a compelling one story wise. It is not some garden variety squabble. It is like holy shit. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of his stuff has to do with drugs because he uh, suffered. He's a drug drug, addict. Yeah. Yeah. And mental illness and running in him and his family and whatnot. Uh, And so all of his the paranoid fiction genre kind of Kafka-esque pension, et cetera, even though it all kind of falls under the sci fi umbrella. uh, Yeah, there's this sense of knowing that these dystopian surroundings that his characters happen to be in these characters tend to, I think, reflect maybe whatever was going on in his head, which yeah, he uh, definitely I mean, <laughs> he, he worked it out like whatever was happening with his marriage was in the book. Yes. Um, uh, but I kind of love it. Yeah, there's tons of drugs. There's tons of paranoid about the government. There's tons of 
uh, deeply hurt couples trying to work it out. There's usually really fun sci-fi ideas that are like the kind of ideas that you're like, oh, this, this is a cool idea. I got to tell you about this book I'm reading. Like he's really good at like just the log line of the sci-fi grabber is usually quite good. Um, it's very leftist and liberal. Like a lot of sci-fi is sort of weirdly right wing and conservative. And like, if you just believe in the government, everything will work out. Yeah. What and is so, it? Uh, Ender's game and um, the original uh, yeah, Ender's game is, troopers. Yes. Yes. These guys are like, um, they, yeah, they tend to be kind of pro government, rah, rah, you know, anti gay marriage. Like it's kind of a bummer when you hear about a lot of sci fi authors view of the world. And Philip K. Dick was a, a real lefty progressive. Like, I mean, you know, uh, mistrusting the government. I mean, he also he ended up going nuts. Like he got real. He got a lot, a lot of like paranoid delusions later in his life. Which he wrote about that, too. But um, so, it, you know, he's a troubled guy. The books are very imperfect, but they are exciting. Like I would, they're really easy to read. They're short, they're like 200 pages, 210 pages. Uh, and a new idea, every chapter, left turns. I, when I got, I was like, this guy is nuts. Like, I really love it. <laughs> um, I definitely, I, oh, sorry, go on, Steve. Yeah, when I, well, when I uh, read the um, plot summary of Now Wait for Last Year, it was shocking to find out that was only that yeah, all I that mean, happened in 200 It's hard pages. to keep track of. Like I had to I read it like maybe Is 10 it? years ago. Um, so I had to reread it to remember. Um, and it was, I was like, oh yeah, this book's insane. I mean, this book is particularly insane. They're not all as insane as this. This is, this is like 25% more complicated than usual for his books, but they're yeah. usually. Huh? Yeah, well, he's the Ryan know, Murphy of sci-fi. That, that actually Just, is know, a messy really moment comparison because Ryan Murphy the messy is moment. I think very fun and very like follow the fun, but sometimes the, the whole suffers like he doesn't seem to have thought through the ending or like worried about, yes. you know, it's like, oh, this will be a cool visual. This is a fun character. And it is. Um, and it's inventive and daring. But it's like, well, you didn't think through the consequences of having this idea. You didn't realize. I think that's an excellent comparison. Yeah, there's, I there's think kind of a, a... <laughs> comfort, there's kind of a comfort Thank food you. feeling too. like you can you know, you can kind of just glide through a Phil K. Dick book. It's, it's although he was very smart and the ideas are being inspired by some deep, truthful things. He doesn't follow through on them to a deep degree. So it's it's kind of a surface read if you want it to be. Yeah, it kind of um, reminds me of the Wachowskis. Uh, uh, yeah, with, I'm sure with the they're Matrix big fans. and yeah. Cloud Atlas and such. And just the and even Speed Racer, Jupiter's Anywhere is these giant ambitious, huge, we're going balls to the wall with the craziness kind of movies. And it doesn't always, in my opinion, pan out. But what do we say, Steve? We, we, we love a big choice. We love a big choice here. And, and uh, now... We love a big choice. Yeah, absolutely. Now, wait for last year. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. I had a weird thing in my throat. Let me do that again. And now, wait for last year is definitely... A big choice. Uh, Tons so, of big choices. Will, why don't you give us uh, a short summary? Yeah. Okay, Here's we are we are the dropout high schoolers, the deadbeat high schoolers who did not do the book report, and we're coming to you 
And we're like, you got to you got to tell us what this is or we'll flunk out of there's, English. There's, there's a ton of ideas in this book that are not all played out. But the main the main two are there is a couple, a doctor and his wife who are uh, having deep marital problems and they each become addicted to a drug called JJ 180 that's temporarily send you backs or forward in time. And it's highly addictive and you'll die from the withdrawal. So you take JJ 180 and you visit the past or the future temporarily, come back to the present, and now you're going through deep drug withdrawal. And you can learn about the past or the future from this drug, but you can't really change anything about it. So that's one big idea in the book. And this couple is squabbling and they mistrust each other. And the drug also makes you paranoid. So they really, they're really suspecting the worst about each other, but also sometimes trying to save each other. That's like one big thread. The other big thread is a war <laughs> between an insect planet and a planet called the Terrans. Oh, no, the Starlings. And Earth is basically deciding who to ally with. And there's this big pol political gamesmanship between the three planets. And so Earth is like on the brink of, or is it in a war and is trying to avoid getting murdered by either one of these other parties. Um, and so throughout the book, there's like you, you, one of the main characters is the president of Earth, and he's trying to decide how to play the hand of Earth politically. Um, and so these are the two main threads, this war with Earth and this insect race and this other humanoid race, the starlings, and then also this doctor and his wife trying to work their shit out while they're addicted to a time-traveling drug. And it's just sort of like, can the doctor save his drug-addicted wife and himself while also helping the president of the Earth stop the Earth from being enmeshed in a war? I love it. Yeah, it's really fun. I mean, it's really fun. Like the drug JJ 180 is what hooked me on this book. I was like, that is a hilarious, not even hilarious. That is like a, no pun intended, trippy idea for a drug. You take it and you go back in time temporarily. Yeah, I and always, you, uh, oh, sorry, go on. I mean, like my time machine, my little hard drive that is my backup hard drive for my computer I always call that JJ 180. Like, um, uh, I just I love JJ 180 as like an idea. Uh, yeah, it's uh, when I think about Brave New World and the drug that they take, Soma. Yeah. I always thought like you could have taken this farther, and I know it was the 30s when it was written, so I'm sure for uh, Huxley he was like, no, but this is the scariest thing is to just be like blissed out all the time and i'm like is it so scary it sounds like you know sounds all right <laughs> sounds all right yeah sounds all right but this genuinely sounds kind of terrifying especially it sounds since terrifying you can go back and you can go forward and you can't do anything like everything's out of your control so you're just there Observing. to witness yeah you're surrendering yeah. to things that cannot be changed right. uh yeah it's got to drive a person crazy and it does um but that book I just described, like whatever it is you might be picturing when I describe that book, because conceivably there could be sort of a 400 page epic, neatly evolving tale of these three planets and this dissolution of a marriage. This book is not that. Imagine the first draft version. And also the author is constantly getting bored with those ideas. And so he just <laughs> introduces unnecessary 
other complications out of nowhere, <laughs> including these. The president of the Earth, one of his main tactics when like one of the other planets wants to invade Earth because they either think he's betrayed the ally. Like he, we're allied with the starlings and they're fighting against the insect race who's called the Regs. So the Regs wants to fight us, but they're too busy fighting the starlings. But the idea is they'll wipe us out next and they're winning. The bugs uh, are winning. You mean the bugs are winning. Yeah. Um, but then the star. So Earth wants to switch sides to the insect to survive. If we switch sides to the insect race, we'll survive. But the starlings will invade us first and kill everybody and let us both be killed by the insects if we betray the starlings. Right. So the president of Earth's main tactic for whenever one of the other planets are like, we think that you're betraying us is to have a heart attack. Is to have a heart attack or have a stroke and say, I can't talk to you right now. I'm dying. And then they always respect his wishes and give him a week or two. Like, it is such a funny <laughs> tactic. He's like, oh, the president can't see. We just had another stroke. And they're like, another stroke? And he's constantly having life threat, like strokes, heart attacks, weird diseases they've never heard of. And they'll, and they'll open up the, they'll bring him into the hospital room. And he's lying. He's like, I wish, I wish I could. I'm just, you know, I, I got, oh, I, I'm too weak. I'm too weak. I'm too weak. And so the insect race or the starlings are like, oh, we'll get you. We're going to get you in a week or two. Like, that's a weird I that's a weird thing. It's so uh, Looney Tunes, but like on a, a you know, so in the weirdest funny. way possible, which is just to be ill constantly. He's just ill. But then it turns out that he's using JJ 180, but he's able to go sideways in time and bring back alternate versions of himself and give them diseases. And th that's that's who the aliens are saying. He's actually been healthy the whole time. It's his alternate selves that he's giving diseases to. But that also seems unnecessarily complicated. It's like, yes, can't you just lie that you had a heart attack? Do you need to go get a clone of yourself and give that clone a heart attack? And also, I guess the clone is on board with it because the clone is going along with your lie. Yeah, there's a lot of layers there. And also and just it's how did like you bring a being back from another dimension when nobody else can take JJ 180 and bring people back? But you can like that's not explained. No, and it, it just kind of, you know, sometimes sometimes you go and you talk to that friend of yours and you're just complaining about something you got to do at work. And it's like in the time that you were complaining, you could have just gotten the job done and then right. been like, all right, we're now we're going to go to dinner instead of all the bitching I did about it. And this kind of feels like that. There's a little bit where I'm like, you could have just fixed this problem. But in all the time it took you to go back and forth in time. Yes. But I think the reason that or the way I would defend this book I mean, first of all, it's just bad. Like, it should just be better. The real thing is he should have revised the book and fixed it. But one reason why it is still enjoyable is it is like reading the elaboration of a bad liar. Mm. Like, I think what I don't know, I don't know Philip K. Dick's process for this particular book or any book, but what it feels like is he liked the idea of a super hypochondriac who used that to like to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. That seems like something that maybe he or his wife did to each other in real life, like sort of claiming illness and using that as like a as a manipulation tactic. And then he's also got JJ 180 because he's very fascinated by powerfully addicting drugs. Many of his books have like lethally addictive drugs. This is one of them. And then he kind of realized, oh, maybe the president is also using the drug to get clones of himself. Like and only at that point. Does he put it in the book like, you know, at chapter 10 or whatever? 
And it, and it's like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't really answer the, eh, and then I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Look. And it's kind of like, you know, improv connection callback wise. There is something satisfying about, oh, the drug from this other story is now part of this story. It feels sort of right in a way, even though it doesn't quite add up. Some part of you as the reader is like, well, I guess so. Yeah, I guess there's a connection between these threads and that's kind of fun. It's uh Dr. Eric Sweetscent, by the way, that's yeah. All the names name. of Philip K. Dick characters are terrible. Yeah, uh, and like, Kathy Sweetscent, his ex. Sweetscent. I mean, it's so obviously a made-up name. Sweetscent just. <laughs> I'm surprised yes. that he's not. Why a give him that name and have like, nothing to do with that? It. He works in first. Okay, I'm gonna love with you guys. If you just said, "Oh, I work for Sweetscent," like that was this. The the beginning and middle and end of that sentence. Yeah, I would assume you are working for an MLM. I would assume Sweet Scent is some sort yeah, of yeah. candle multi level marketing. Sounds like it. Yeah, uh, where you you know. Um, my sister was really? involved in a uh, candle yes. MLM. It was called Scentsy. Yeah, yeah, she sold um, scented. Oh, do I have any? I have them around the house. They're uh, it's scented wax. Well, she'd be a great and scented wax warmers. Oh, yeah. If instead of if instead of candles, she was selling animals that chirp when you're in love and uh, it causes the divorce rate to spike across the country because married couples buy them when they're young and then the animal starts chirping and they all and they all break up. Um, That'd be that'd be a Philip K. Dick character. Just yeah, thinking about mind. trying to recruit people to sell those birds as those <laughs> birds being part of a Lula Roe-esque scheme of just being like, no, no, no. Listen, now, if you buy if you buy your own set of startup birds for five thousand dollars, I'll give you 10 birds and then you sell those 10 birds to people. And yeah, they might break up, but they might not. You know, it just depends on whether the bird's going to chirp or not. It's just kind of a time bomb. We'll wait and see. And then those people. We'll set, we'll sell. And then you can work your way up to being a master chirper where you you will yeah. then be training people under you. And you get to go to leadership conferences and the Katy Perry will sing for you. This sounds all right to me. Um, master and chirper. There's got to be a there's got to be a good name for like the the head ML, the the. The head of Sweet Scent. The MLM yeah, big bird. Well, no, I'm, I'm yeah, still big thinking about bird, like, the, top uh, the bird. bird, the bird stuff. Top bird. Rock and Robin. Bird. Yeah. Fly. Maybe pterodactyl. Eagle. Maybe they go. Oh, yeah. yeah ter- oh, pterodactyl. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pterodactyl's like at the top. So like the top 0.01% of people involved in Sweet Scent are pterodactyls. And everybody below them is like a a finch. <laughs> um. Another idea in this book, which I honestly, they just co- totally could have taken out, is the doctor, the main character, the one who gets addicted to JJ 180, he and his wife, mm-hmm. Eric Sweetsent. He initially is working for a CEO, and this CEO ends up connecting him to the president of Earth. But when he's working for the CEO, the CEO takes him on a tour of a, of a settlement on Mars that's called Washington 35, which is a recreation of Washington, D.C. in the year 1935 that this super rich Jeff Bezos like CEO had created just because he missed his childhood. So he funded the recreation of his childhood city on Mars and he goes there for vacations. And he took Eric Sweetsent there at the beginning to tell him, I want you to work for the president of earth. Not going to lie. That's basically what Walt Disney did with main street. 
So Disneyland. <laughs> but isn't it weird to have that as the opening of your book? And then you go yes, into yes, like, it is. It is weird to have the that opening of your book? book go to Main Street Disneyland and then have somebody say you're going to go work for the president among that replica. That is an insane thought to be like, what if we have you're in a fake Washington, D.C.? Yeah. And you're telling a person you're going to go back to Earth to the real Washington, D.C. and work for the president. Yeah. And then this basically won't factor into the story. It's like, well, could we just start with me going to visit the president? What do we need this for? Um, the, at fantasyliterature.com, there was a review for uh, now wait for last year. And uh, in part of that review, a one Sandy Ferber pointed out now wait for last year still is not a perfect book. A nitpicker that I am, I was able to discern some small problems. For example, small it, problems, it, huge, <laughs> huge gaping holes in this plot. So you they bring up, <laughs> they bring up Marsh, Martian Wash thirty five. They say it's a replica of the Uptown Theater, which didn't open until nineteen thirty six, and mean, that Macomb Street in D.C. that should be Macomb. So instead I mean, of being spelled M C C O M B street it should be ma that is so funny that that's her problem with this book how about how one guy takes the drug and can steal his body from the other time and nobody else can do that no 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 there's been a misspelling you don't understand insects how about the insects being sympathetic that he had a heart attack and they give him a week i think that's way more unrealistic I also, but however i do think it's unrealistic for an author to not go to the library and do some research he was it's fascinated with stuff. like with people's <laughs> nostalgia for their childhoods. Like he'll frequently mm. have super rich people in his books are obsessed with their own childhoods to like a self-destructive degree. That's like a common Philip K. Dick thing. How very Citizen Kane of him. Uh, but it's kind of fun. Um, uh, there, there's also some weird stuff just with the nature of the starlings and the Regs. And the war between them and sort of the political things go down. That's kind of weird sometimes. I'm still here, by the way. This is just to, um, okay with the Internet. Sorry. Um, please continue. Yeah. Um, the wife, when she gets addicted to JJ 180, uh, is manipulated by the insects to like use her to spy on her husband since he has access to the president. And then she'll give that info back to the insect race. So they'll have inside info on what Earth is doing. Um, so she is betraying not just her husband, but all of Earth because she is a female in a Philip K. Dick book before the year 1970. <laughs> she is the source of evil. You know that going in. Um, uh, uh, the, en- the end of the book, he is counseled by a sentient taxi cab who gives him advice that he follows. And the cab compliments him and the book ends. Yeah, it's like a logic kind of thing, right? The, the cab. Uh, but yeah, the taxi the is like he asks the taxi cab, should I? My wife is addicted to drugs so badly that she may never recover mentally. Should I just leave her? Because I maybe can't save her. And she's like in this really bad state. Would it be bad to leave her and have a good life? And the cab's like, no, you should stay with her. You know, it's it's illogical to think that you have to keep changing your life until you get perfect circumstances. Nobody has perfect circumstances. Just deal with the ones you have or something. And he's mm-hmm. like, you're right, taxi cab. And he stays with her. And that's the book. And the book ends. 
Wow. That is him working out some shit for sure. That's what is one of the cool things about it is like, I'm not even totally sure I agree with the sentiments being put forward or if they're even relatable, but it feels I am sort of weirdly moved by now. Wait for last year. Like the book begins and ends with this doctor's marital struggle. It doesn't the war between the planets doesn't resolve. The drug doesn't get solved. We don't find out what happens to the president. It's this couple. That's the arc of the book. It is satisfying on some level. Like you finish it. You're like, that's better than a lot of sci-fi books. Like that's got a lot more heart. It's right. messy and there's some misogyny and it, it feels kind of rushed, but some there's real vulnerability in it. Uh, he did have a good artist's instinct for some sort of emotional honesty. Um, and even though I'm saying that, like, oh, the woman is going to be the evil character, which is often true, the men are nobody's truly good. Like, it's one of these things where everybody is kind of a shithead in one way or the other. Um, there's not like this savior character really ever in a Philip K. Dick book. There's no real good guys. Everybody has moments of betrayal. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think it's super fun. Like, I, I think everybody should read a Philip K. Dick book. They're, they are short. Um, they're, they're a mess. But I, and what will happen is you'll, the first half you'll tear through. Then it'll start to get boring because you realize that things aren't going to get resolved. You'll push through the last 50 pages. It'll end with a bit of a heartbreaking sting. You'll be like, I guess that was okay. And then for the next like five years, you'll think about it. And you'll like remember the terms of that book. And you'll walk around and you'll use it as metaphors and have to explain it to people. This is like JJ 180. This is like the insect race, the Regs. This is like the president who always has heart attacks to get out of things. And you'll be like, I guess that book was good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's kind of been my experience with a lot of his books. Yeah, I mean, ending a book on your talking taxi driver robot cab telling you, like, you should stay with your wife. Definitely. And you do. Yeah, like it ends with his decision. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to stay with it. Yeah, it's just there's something about that that, to your point, is vulnerable and moving and also kind of fucking crazy because it's just comes out of nowhere. It's just part of the world. And then it's like, yep, I guess we're listening to that guy. Like it's not been set up. No payoff. Just yep. Yeah. Shouldn't it be like cab. shouldn't it be like any one of the many human characters gives him advice? No, um, no only the robot knows. um it's kind of i don't know it's sort of fun it does you know it's re it's really a crazy ride and it is not even although this is a bit crazier than most of his books it's not the craziest by far because this book is still i would say uh good it's like readable Mm -hmm. uh i mean better than readable it's it's a page turner like it it functions he's got novels where the the level of craziness is so high there's one called the simacula, wait, simulcrum. I can't mm-hmm. say this word. Simaculum. Wait, simulacrum. I can't say it. Wait, I I'm going to spend five minutes trying about. to do it. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. And I. Simaculum. I can't say it. There's no way I'm going to be able to get it better than you. But that's. Steve, book, you want to try? Simulacrum. Simul- that's pretty, that might be simulacrum? it. Simulacrum. Simulacrum. I don't simulacrum. know. Simulacrum. Samuel Cram. That might be it. Uh, Samuel Cram. It's fun. Cram is fun. Um, But that book has a 
jug band duo that uses a Martian animal to hypnotize audiences so that they become huge pop stars. Um, um, sorry, sorry yep, to that's the all right. KD fans. That's just no, no, it's totally perfect. insane. It has a world class psychoanalyst who is a genius to, at solving emotional problems, but who won't leave his house because he suffers from a mental condition that he believes he smells and won't let anybody near him. Um, there is a president who has been president for so long that it, we assume. Uh, she is a robot mm-hmm. and she is a robot. She is the semaculum and the Nazis, in fact, won World War II. But instead of winning ahead of the scenes, they simply took over the White House and have controlled the president since 1945. And so there's a whole section of the book where you meet like Goebbels and all these Nazi officials and how they're running America from behind the scenes. He loves Nazi shit because that's man oh, he in the high loves, castle. He loves Nazi shit. Nazis are all over Philip K. Dick books. He's and he goes deep on like the history of the Nazis and the rise and the fall of the Third Reich and all that shit. And when we say loves Nazis, I don't mean like loves them the way like that. That Milo asshole loves not like no, no, wants to be one, just like obsessed with. The, he's obsessed with them. He's against yeah. Nazis. Yeah, but he is. He is fixated on them and obsessed with them. And they right. are. They're often in his books. As the yeah, the man of the height, but man of the castle was a really compelling book. You know, that's like what if the Nazis won World War II? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that book ends. I mean, that book is really fun, very clear-headed for Philip K. Dick, quite simple in a nice way, telling this very compelling story, and then it just ends out of nowhere. You're reading it, and then two pages later, it's over, and you have no idea two pages before that it's going to end, and then it's like he just got tired. And that's the one that won a Hugo. Because uh, it, it's uh, honestly so good up until that point that you're that it's very like you're like, man, I hope he finishes this. <laughs> no, <laughs> never. <laughs> never. Just passed out. It's like, I'm done. Tied. I mean, he wrote nap. like another 12 books after that, but he never went back to it. Um, but I do think it's because partly he was it wasn't expected to, you know, he published right. the end of the high castle. They put like a weird cover on it with like some crazy sci fi stuff. It would sell a bunch and they'd be like, where's your next one? He'd be like, all right, here's the next one. Nobody was clamoring for a sequel. Yeah. Um, he. In looking at specifically now, wait for last year. Uh, let's let's well, you know, what? let's get into a little bit. Let's get into JJ 180, the bender of time or the yeah. time bender or going on a bender through time, however you want to put it. Um, do we feel like this is a thing that when I say it could exist, I just mean like as far as could this exist outside of a Philip K. Dick novel? Could this exist in any other media? Or is this just so literary acid trip that it can only exist in this man's mind? I mean, it is the most Philip K. Dick part of the book. Mm-hmm. The highly addictive drug that sends you back in time. If anybody thought of it, it, it immediately people would be like, that's a Philip K. Dick type of idea. Right. Okay. Um, it's very him. Yeah. Even down to the to the clumsy name. Um, like he really was bad at naming stuff. Do you know have you guys ever seen Blade Runner? Do you know how the um yes. cyborgs are called replicants? Yes. That term is not in the book. Oh. He did not come up with the term replicant. What did he come up with? He just called them robots. (laughs) I don't 
why that cracks me up. I it cracks me up too. simple about it. It's just like, yeah, it's a robot. What do you, what do you want? Ro- what do, do you want from me? I got, I got to finish this book in two months. Yeah. What do, oh, you want a fancy name? Oh, you need it to be something different. Do you Go also know yourself. how part of Blade Runner is that Decker, the Harrison Ford character starts to suspect that he might be a replicant? Like it starts to be hinted that even though he's a replicant hunter, that he himself might be one. That's like kind of teased in the movie. Right. In the book, it is said definitively, without a doubt, he's not a replicant. Like he's not a robot. That is removed from the story. And I'm telling you, that is a bad idea. It is way more fun if Decker is a replicant and hunting replicants. Yes. And he's just like, no, we're not doing that. No, he's a human. Yeah, I don't have time for this. I got to go make dinner. Yeah, I got to go beat up my third wife. Yeah, I don't think he ever beat people, but um, no, he did. Apparently, ah, uh, I don't know. Well, OK, well, I, I'm not the expert on this, but OK. So out of the many wives he had, um, second wife uh, briefly befriended it. No, sorry. Take that out. OK. He was physically abusive with his third wife, Anne Williams Rubenstein. After an mm. argument in 63, he attempted to push her off a cliff in a oh, car, God. then later claimed she was trying to kill him and then persuaded a psychiatrist to commit her involuntarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Wait, not- she tried to push her off a cliff in a car? Like they were like push her out of a car off a cliff? You know, or like push the car off the cliff while she was in it. Let me see if I can uh, get down to business and figure it out. This marriage, I'd forgotten about this, and I'm not a total expert on his personal life. I I think all of his marriages were not great, but this one was like way, way worse than the others. Mm -hmm. And this is who he was married to when he wrote this book. Yeah. Um, and And he has a lot of unhappy couples, and they're mostly based on this marriage. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe his last wife. Maybe they were OK. I, I forget. Um, yeah, it's not awesome to learn that about the guy whose book you're reading. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's he's a crazy man. His uh, fourth wife, uh, mm-hmm. Granny. No, not fourth wife. I'm sorry. He filed for divorce and then he moved in with a fan. Always a great idea. And then uh, shortly after he attempted suicide by driving off the road while this uh, fan author, Grania Davis, was a passenger. Yeah, very bad news. Um, That's right around the time that he believed a laser beam hit the back of his skull and gave him the knowledge of the Gnostics. Yes. Um, Mm. As one as one does. Uh, which he never relented on the rest of his life. He's always like, oh, yes, that's a, laser, a pink laser beam hit the bottom of my skull in 1973 and gave me the knowledge of biblical times. Yeah, commit to uh, the bit. Yeah, he committed <laughs> to that it. Up. Uh, one, of his, one of his last books is called Valis, and it's about a sci-fi author who thinks he's been given the uh, knowledge of the Gnostics and is committed to an asylum. And it's about his experience being committed to an asylum. Um, and in that book, the main character's name is something like Horse Eater Fat or something. And Horse Eater Fat meets Philip K. Dick in the book, and they talk about whether or not he is crazy. Uh, and that's fun. I say that's fun. Um, there is a book called The Divine Madness of Philip K. Dick 
by Carl Arnold that I think goes, it's more of a biography situation and mentions that his amphetamine abuse, which can often lead to amphetamine induced psychotic disorder with hallucinations, paranoid delusions, etc., cetera, uh, definitely happened to him. And that <laughs> <laughs> that Philip K. Dick's paranoia being drug induced, uh, like psychologically, it's it's all this projection, right? Projection is this defense mechanism, uh, paranoia. It basically, Philip fell within the latter category, like the idea being that he could have his paranoia was always going to be there and it just got even worse because he took amphetamines if that yeah. makes if that tracks um uh, yeah i should say like i am fascinated with phil kiddick but i don't like think he's a great dude i mean yeah. <laughs> i just went through a phase where i couldn't stop reading his books like i would finish now wait for last year and i'd be like what's another one and i found like dr blood money where like a DJ is trapped in a satellite surrounding the earth because he was up there when a nuclear war happened and he has no way of getting back down. And he just broadcasts his radio show to the earth. No idea if anybody can even hear it. And on earth, the warring tribes, when they see the satellite go over, scramble to their radios to hear that, to hear his messages and his songs. And uh, I love that book. I love it. And another thing about the fun of Philip A. Dick is sort of like he was good way more than what his industry expected of him. It's kind of like reading a great comic book or playing a great video game, or maybe even could I even say like seeing a great Broadway musical, like an emotionally moving Broadway music, like Sondheim or something like mm -hmm. it's like part of what makes a Sondheim musical special. It's good, but it's also good using tools that are usually not used in that way. Sort of. It's like, Oh, it's a big, really good musical, but it's also kind of thoughtful and sad. And like, I wasn't expecting that from this. And it's almost like because it happened in a Broadway musical, it's almost more impactful than it might be otherwise. And because these things happen in these kind of pulpy sci-fi books, they're sort of more impactful. Um, there is a quote where he, Dick himself claimed the core of my writing is not art, but truth. And then there's also this very huh, quote, which is, I am a fictionalizing philosopher, not a novelist. This is one of those really makes you think. Yeah, I disagree with him. I, th I think. I, I think you're right, Nadia, and that his philosophy is like matrix philosophy, in which it's like kind of fun, but not really that smart if you poke it with a stick. Mm -hmm. I think what he's really good at is what Stephen King has is makes you turn the page mm. like you just want to turn one more page like. And that is, I think that is a novelist. I think he did have a good instinct for plot. Not, he wasn't looking at it from what, what it looked like from afar, but just like moment to moment to moment, he knew how to hook you. Like Ryan Murphy. Like, and that is, a, that is a real skill that not everybody has. And he definitely had it. He's bad at wordsmithing. Like a lot of just the language use is clunky. All of the names are stupid. <laughs> There's no like poetic sense of language in a Philip K. Dick book in any way. That's that's kind of how I feel about J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter books, if I'm being honest. Yeah, like, really? I feel like there's a great story, but like written by somebody who's maybe not the best at uh, language and word. That's how I felt, at least. I mean, but, you know, don't cancel me. I, I think you're you're you get anti canceled for going against J.K. Rowling. Yeah, right exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's a page turner, right? Like you want to know what happens. Oh yeah. Oh like, yeah. Absolutely. Like she's yeah. great at that. Like, uh, 
Jill's has a great sense of humor. I feel like I feel like what I like about the Potter books is they're so they're fun. Like, I mean, it's just like uh not comedy comedy, but just sort of like, you know, the the game of taking a British prep school and putting it in a magic people's it's fun. It's like really fun. Yeah, there's a lot of uh yeah, uh that's all right. It's just a lot of Britishisms. Yeah. These these little tiny moments where you're like, ah, ha, ha. it's chuckle yeah. worthy at, it, at times. But that's, you know, laugh laugh. what more do you want sometimes from a book that yeah. you're just tearing through? Um, I don't know. Page, page turning is like this thing. Like, I, you know, the authors who can really make you do it. It's 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 stunning to me. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a comic book writer named Alan Moore that I like a lot. who's also problematic and has. Lots oh, yeah. Of weird things. Oh, sure. Um, but Alan Moore, man, I can't not turn the page in an Alan Moore comic book. And I've looked at his page ones and I'm like, what is it? There's I'm in right away. And I'm like, what is it on this page? Because a lot of times nothing really seems to happen. Or this will be with good movies. You're watching a movie and you're like the feeling that something is about to happen. You, you know, you feel that so strongly. What is that? How do they make it feel like we're about we are about to get to something? That's how I felt when I first read Watchmen. And it was like I, I remember kind of putting it up picking it up and putting it down a bunch because I was like, I couldn't get into it at first. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm going to get into it. And then once I was in, I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I've read a number of his comics where somebody else will write the sequel because he'll get bored and have moved on. And the sequel will be so tepid and lame in comparison to the Alan Moore version. And, I'll, and it'll be, you know, the same characters, the same world. But I'll be like, what happened to what's missing here? Uh, and it's, I don't, you know, I don't know, man, just some people have that, like, they just know when they've hooked you. Yeah. And I do think Philip Kintick had that, um, um going back to being hooked on JJ 180 for a moment. Yes. Uh, so Eric sweet scent, I'm sorry, doctor Eric was his father. Uh, <laughs> stupidest joke. Uh, so he learns that the, the, the governor supreme leader of earth, uh, his name is Gina Molinari. Gina Molinari uh, it has these alter aliases going on. And he's like, yeah, I'm on JJ 182. And I use it to side time travel so I can get clones of me to put off this war stuff. Right. So Eric gets information on the effects of JJ 80 on JJ 180 on the brain because he's like, what's happening with my ex? And he takes a fraction of the pill so as not to immediately return to his own time and ends up one year into his own future. And because that's how time travel pills work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah even <laughs> that, that doesn't be make my sense. Question, is doesn't make sense. A fraction of the pill. So only taking a teeny bit. So if you're like, I don't need to know what's going to happen 400 years from now. I just want to know what's going to happen next week. Do I get the gig or not? Like, you know, is that movie going to be any good? Like, do you just take a tiny bit of the pill? That's how this works. I don't know. It's like having a sip of beer and you're like, oh, well, I nothing happened. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I was feeling like uh, taking a fraction of the pill. Just I don't understand that one. And I just wanted to put that up to you guys and go, what what? How do you think how do you think that would actually work? That might be a Wikipedia ism where they might not be summarizing it right. Like it it might be like a small fraction won't invoke the withdrawal. Mm. 
Mm. And he's trying to avoid that sort of like he's chipping kind of like, um, or he's just trying to go a small amount of time in the future. And that's the dose. Well, I'm not the only one that has this issue because Sandy Ferber, the woman who uh, is upset (laughs) that about Macomb Street says, well, I'm picking nits. Just how does one cut a drug capsule in thirds? Yeah, that's true. Which, yeah, she has a point. She has a point. I just don't get that one. Uh, I don't don't get that either. But I mean, we're talking about a thing where a talking taxi cab tells him stay with your wife. So, you know, what what do I know? Uh, yeah, a lot of times reading these books, you just shake your head. And you're like, well, let's just keep going. Let's see what happens. <laughs> um, speaking of talking ca- taxi cabs, I've never been huge into sci-fi, but one of my favorite shows is Futurama. And I yes. feel like I've kind of by osmosis and by watching this show created by people who love sci-fi. Like there's so many things when I was reading about Philip K. Dick, that's like, yep, that's from Futurama. That's from future. Just like when you watch the Sims, when you watch something and like you realize like, hey, I remember that as a Simpsons joke from 20 years ago. Now here I am learning the reference and uh, slurm. They go. It's more mm-hmm. it's making fun of. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but Slurm, as soon as Fry drinks Slurm, he can't like immediately when he has the uh, the Slurm concentrate, which ends up just coming from a giant slug woman. Um, he he's physically like incapable of doing anything but drinking Slurm. And yeah. so that made me think of uh, JJ 180 for sure. So I remember that Futurama when he's seeing the slug woman and seeing the Slurm come yeah. out of her. He goes, ew, and then he takes a sip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's definitely it, all over Futurama. Yes. Uh, although I will, to Futurama's credit, I do feel like uh, Leela and um, Amy are a bit more well rounded in terms of female characters because there is yeah. a quote Leela, that at I. Least. <laughs> yeah. I, the, yeah. Okay. That's fair. There is a quote that I found that was about Kathy, the ex wife, and it says, <clears throat> for tonight's mysterious undertaking, Kathy had arrived naked from the waist up, except, of course, for her nipples. They had been not gilded in the strict sense, but rather treated with a coating of living matter, matter sentient, a Martian life form, so that each possessed a consciousness. Hence, each nipple responded in an alert fashion to everything going on. Your nipples seem to be watching me, as one character later complains. <laughs> Complaint. I totally forgot about that. The the way that the what CEO the- got rich was he discovered an amoeba that could duplicate things. And he used it to duplicate furs. And so he became rich selling furs. But then mm-hmm. she puts a, she puts them on her nips. Yeah, that's a real sci-fi move. That's a 50s sci-fi novel move or a 60s sci-fi novel move. You know, the hot alien. Yeah, it's. There's definitely something to be said for uh, all literature to some degree through the male gaze and just the way they describe women. And this is yet another wonderful example of like, what? Have you ever seen a nipple? Like, it just feels so off in so many ways. And yet you're right. It's just like, yeah, no, but they, they live in this world. And this is what nipples look like in 2055. And He's into that and it's like, all right, fine. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> I forgot I forgot about the amoebas that can duplicate things. Or I mean, that can, yeah. I mean, this is a, I feel like the the 
the nipple matter is kind of a precursor to the fembots on uh, in Austin, Austin Powers. Powers. You know, we're mm. just we're we have a fear. We have a fear of women murdering us with with their breasts. <laughs> Where did that come? Who spread that rumor? I, I don't know. Questions. It goes back to breastfeeding. Okay, I'd like to speak to the head of breastfeeding, please. Yeah, <laughs> the head of. Maybe it's like in Shakespeare somewhere, you know, like Henry the Fourth, like used a nipple to like kill a Frenchman or something. That could that's that that tracks. That which gave us life shall also give you death. Hi, whatever. There it is. Something like that. And doth thus cut my bind thy nipple. Yep. Blood runneth like milk from her sweet titty. <laughs> I I'm terrible at improvising Shakespeare. Can you tell? Uh. Yeah, right. I think I, I think if you would have committed, if you would have said commit a titty, but committed to the performance of Shakespeare, like of saying it. Yeah. If you would have committed to the chit- titty just by like, you know, in committing to the performance of the style of acting Shakespeare, I think you could have gotten away with it. You just know so what? You know. I'll say this much committee to the titty. Feels like. Yep. Exactly what <laughs> the next the next move for comedy needs to be just like tit humor, but committing to it. And that is called committee to the titty. I don't see any problems coming out of that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, OK. So this so overall <laughs> with with now wait for last year, it's it's engrossing and also uncomfortable and an enigmatic. That's the word I wanted. Enigmatic because it's kind of a mystery and you don't know what's going to happen. And it's also batshit crazy. Um, Do you feel like there are other themes that maybe we haven't covered that are uh, drugs, divorce, Mm -hmm. paranoid government conspiracies, Mm -hmm. betrayal? Yeah. Childhood nostalgia. Yeah. Addiction, responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it feels like fur. Um, <laughs> fur. Yeah. Nips. Fur nips. Uh, uh <laughs> only a third of a capsule. Uh misspelling the DC area. <laughs> and it does feel like um despite his misogyny, despite his drug addiction and just how much of an, a fucking addict this guy was. There's something about this book that sounds so completely different from, say, Ubik or Man in the High Castle or, you know, even Blade Runner, Minority Report, Total Recall, all these other ones that have been, you know, often turned into films that uh, this one just seems even more off the rails. And so I went into trying to figure out, you know, if you're going to do a Philip K. Dick primer, where would you start and where would this fall? And I found one from Barnes and Nobles. And uh, it doesn't even fall on the list. Wow. The most difficult is a scanner darkly, not because it's difficult to understand. It's just unrelenting is how they say. Yeah, it's very bleak. Uh, yeah, it's a bleak in the uh, Valis trilogy and uh, three yeah. stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Yeah. Those are considered they're difficult, like there's hallucinations, drug trips. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're complicated, too. Like it's yeah. And they're sad. It's unabashed nightmare fuel to use their words. Yeah, uh, that's, that's pretty fair. But now wait for <laughs> it doesn't even show up. That's I mean, I'm surprised to me. This book is I uh, I'm a fan. I don't know what to say. Like, I think this book is. <laughs> 
the most the most common PKD recommendations are do androids dream of electric sheep, uh, man of the high castle, and scanner darkly. Those are like kind of like the most like streamlined books. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flow my tears. The policeman said is also pretty easy to read, and um, but after that you're you're going to delve into the comp- the messy ones, right? Um. So over a decade ago, they were going to do a film adaptation. Yeah. Oh. Uh, according to Slash Film, uh, now wait for last year got optioned, and uh, it was originally in development with a guy named Ted Cooper tapped to write the screenplay, and yeah, it was. I think it was. It was going to happen, and nobody seemed to really know where it was coming from. Um, Electric Shepherd Productions had optioned the rights. And then that is it. That's all that I could find as far as like it happening. So it's been 10 years. I don't know where in development hell it landed, but I wanted to ask, okay, we're all going to sit down and write. Now wait for the last year as a movie. <laughs> we're going to adapt it. Yeah. Uh, do we need to change its title the way do Android's Dream of Electricity became Blade Runner? Who do we cast? What parts do we keep? What do we got to throw out? Let's do this, gang. Here's a here's a big change I would make in the okay. book. He gets addicted to JJ one eighty because she betrays him. Right. But I would have him just do it of his own accord mm-hmm. to like try to solve problems. Like he learns of it from her addiction, but then he just enters into it. And yeah. then later it'd be fun for her to accuse him. It's like you know you say that I'm a mess, but you you took this yourself anyway. Like on some level you want to be right with me. Like I'm just the gutsier version of you. Mm. You know, you try to be the good guy who's not addicted to drugs like you're just as much of an addict as I am. Ooh, is he? You know what? What if we just got rid of all the first stuff and instead he's just working for some section of the government? I know that the first stuff is kind of part of the government. It's been brought in no, yeah, because I agree, of the just, war. Yeah, get rid of it. But just like make it really clear that this is like a government thing that he's already working for. Jeremy Irons comes in and tells him, I want you to meet the president or whatever we're calling him. Yeah. Mr. Leader. And then that way, as he's trying to solve his problems and he takes JJ 180, it makes sense because he's like, I know I'm the only one that can stop this. And my wife showed me how through her drugs. And then, oh, no, I fucked up as he goes backwards (laughs) in time. Now, do we want to show back in time stuff? Like, do we want to throw him in like the Roman era? Do we want to fun like a Mr. Peabody moment? Let's Sherman have him go Peabody. back pretty far. Let's have him go back, like, maybe not Roman Empire, but, like, pre-space travel Earth, like our Earth. We'll okay. see him briefly. Okay. Yeah, because it's 2055. I want to so. see him almost, I want to see him be like, what, what, where am I? And then I want him to say, or more like, when am I? <laughs> and then he turns and just barely escapes getting run over by a Model T. And then that's how he realizes when he is. <laughs> I love this. Do not remove it. And I wonder if we can get Ford to sponsor it. So I Absolutely. know it's a Model T, but we need to put the Ford logo on top of the Model T. Like the modern day Ford logo is on the Model T. Well, yeah, because I mean, that's just a given because of like, you know, promotion and product placement and stuff like that. Yeah. Also, the Model T will drive so much faster and look so much better than a Model T right. with the <laughs> current logo. Yes. But it, it it sounds great because yes. Ford has always had purring engines. Yes. Quality cars from day one. Yes. Uh, and then he jumps. In and the he 80s. says that he almost gets hit by the Model <laughs> T and it drives away and he goes, 
that's a quality car. Hmm. Ford better remember that. <laughs> yeah, this is all really good. Keep going. Uh, yeah. OK, so then if he's going to go way into the future and we're not talking about. So spoiler alert in the book, he goes a few years into the future towards the end of the book and realizes, oh, shit, uh, the war is not going to go our way and everything's not going to work out. And he gets very suicidal and thinks about going to Mexico to get suicide pills, I believe, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then as a result, he's like, you know, in a pretty low place until uh, the taxi talking taxi cab comes along, whom we have to make sure does not resemble the talking taxi cab from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, right. We they, like the those two will get in a huge fight. That cab yeah. is very sensitive about cab portrayals. So, like, let's just make sure that it's definitely got like a robot feel and not so much of a cartoon feel. OK, because um, otherwise that cab is going to come for our asses. And uh, yeah, so then. uh you know what? There should be like a family of cabs. It's like a whole like a whole generational dispatch. It's a lot of comic relief. You yeah, know, well, it's a heavy movie is like the Jiminy Crickets of the film. Like they're giving advice to everybody, like everybody yeah. consults their cabs. Yeah, like Kathy slash Sarah Paulson cab is gets like in the a cab. It's the descendant of Siri somehow, like everyone just talks to their cabs and expects their cabs to have good knowledge and good information. That's just like the way we live our lives now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's very uh, the cab knows all sees all. We love cab. Yeah, we love him. We love him. Um, I'm thinking we, you know, the nipple stuff. We, more of it. Yeah, but toned down more, but no, I'm less. Like, I'm, I'm only kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Will Heights, thank you so much for coming on. Why do you know? Thanks that? for having me. Thanks, there, me, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you. Me Is too. there anything that you'd like to plug at this time? I do a podcast with my brother called Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics and we talk about comic books. Well, that'd be that'd be nice if people if you're into that stuff. Check it out, please. All right. And where can people find you online? Um my favorite place to find me online is my Instagram, Willie B. Hines, W-I-L-L-I-E-B-H-I-N-E-S. I do most of my plug in there too. So if you're interested in Will Hines Enterprises, output. I, I usually mention stuff there. I will say, though, if you're a fan of of the same level of sarcasm, your Twitter is uh, is uh, fantastic. Oh, thank it's you. It's just 100 we'll percent fake brags. Yes, it's just we'll just say <laughs> things like ran a super marathon, then pumped out a full script and they loved it and bought it immediately. <laughs> Sometimes friends of mine from high school buy it. <laughs> I, I once said, like, oh, these damn execs want to use my script as both a TV show and a movie. And they paid me for both. Great. Now I don't know. Now I don't know how to focus on my revision. And a friend of mine <laughs> from high school was like, congratulations. Oh, that's so nice. It's, and it's I was like, like, I've never sold anything. Not even close. <laughs> it's so nice that they were sincere and we're like, I know. Oh, you, you don't understand. We live in hell. Yeah, we, we live in a hellscape of our own making. Yeah. What? You don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, I have it similar with like um, high school friends or a lot of times with family where they'll like I'll see them in person and they'll just be like, I had to stop unfollowing you because I just had no idea what you were talking about. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, that's my that's my comedy. That's my that's my livelihood. That's 
Let's, oh, oh, you're talking about the one thing that I think I'm skilled at. Yeah, no, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. if only we could take a pill and go back in time and then just like briefly explain to our younger selves, like, are you sure this is the path you want to take? Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to try like architecture or something? <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, tell everyone, you know, every way you know how. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and be sure to go back and listen to our older episodes if you missed them. We talked about some weird stuff. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Why Do You Know That Pod or on Twitter at Why Do You Know Pod. They're different. And if you've got questions, comments, concerns, whatever, be sure to email us at Why Do You Know That Pod at gmail.com. Let's do this again sometime. Uh-huh.